Hello, and welcome to another edition of the BJ Psych Advances podcast. My name is Oliver Gelgrant, and today I'm joined by Dr. Hemant Bargav, an assistant professor of yoga in the Department of Integrative Medicine at the National Institute of Mental Health and Neuroscience in India, and Dr. Shivarama Varambali, who is a professor of psychiatry and head of the Department of Integrative Medicine at the National Institute of Mental Health and Neuroscience in India. We're here to discuss their new paper in BJ Psych Advances, Yoga and Mental Health, What Every Psychiatrist Needs to Know, which is also written with their colleague, Dr. Sanju George. Hemant and Shivarama, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us here. So this is a fascinating article that covers a topic that I think most people in, in the UK will be aware of, but will have very little knowledge about, which is yoga and specifically yoga as a mental health intervention. So give us a quick summary of what the paper covers. So this paper is uh, trying to put maybe the work of the last 10 years at the Nimans Integrated Centre for Yoga together. Uh, although Nimans is an institute that really has three major departments, that is psychiatry, neurology and neurosurgery, much of the yoga work has been done in psychiatry. And we after 10 years, we feel we have a reasonable understanding of what yoga can offer the various uh, patients you know, suffering from various psychiatric disorders. So we thought we'll put it together in a paper which is easy to understand by most clinical psychiatrists. Uh, because a very, if you do a meta-analysis or something, for example, it uh, many times it loses the meaning. Uh, when you look up, you know, read 20 articles and put it together. So we thought we'll put it together. And uh, Hemant here, uh, he's not a psychiatrist. He's a doctor with a specialization in yoga. And he has been working in the last maybe seven or eight years with us, looking at what are the different yoga practices which may be good and some which may not be good in particular psychiatric disorder. So this paper essentially aims at putting this knowledge together. Uh, so a, a psychiatrist sitting in a community clinic or a city center, for example, is faced with a patient, what yoga could offer that patient? Considering that yoga, uh, in the evidence base, you will see that uh, uh, the papers in the field of yoga and psychiatry, uh, each paper, uh, you will see that a yoga intervention is different. So there is a need for standardization of the intervention for specific conditions. So in our clinical experience of over a decade now, uh, we have come to a kind of an understanding. Uh, basically, we followed a procedure uh, through which we scientifically developed uh, and then validated these yoga modules in specific clinical populations. And then uh, a one-hour module was developed. But when we applied this in our OPD and IPD setup, we found that specific yoga practices could be more emphasized in a particular disorder and some yoga practices uh, may be detrimental for the patients. So based on this kind of uh, clinical evidence and uh, around 50-60 papers that we have published in this area, we could come up with this uh, article uh, that is very handy for a psychiatrist. So if a psychiatrist just reads this article, uh, in his clinics he will, he will get accustomed to some useful yoga practices that he can prescribe to patients suffering from specific uh, psychiatric conditions. Mm. And it's, it's a very interesting topic, which, as you say, this paper gives a great overview. Uh, now, I think a, an average psychiatrist in England is probably quite unaware of yoga, beyond the idea of yoga as a form maybe of exercise 
I, I certainly think that probably no one in England would have um, prescribed yoga uh, to a psychiatric patient. So maybe we can go over quickly some of the evidence base because it actually seems quite strong. Um, maybe we start with depression. It looks like uh, yoga is actually quite an effective intervention for depression. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Oliver, because uh, uh, if you look at guidelines around the world, the, the one of the few guidelines which has added yoga in the treatment of, for example, schizophrenia is the nice guidelines in the UK. Even in Indian guidelines, it's still not there, but in the UK, it's already there. The nice guidelines for schizophrenia in 2014 uh, added yoga as a one of the complementary interventions alongside you know, exercise and other physical interventions based primarily, you know, quoted this in the paper. Yes, it's primarily based on two research studies from NIMHANS, right? So, right now, as you pointed out, the best evidence possibly is in depression. Uh, because there are multiple studies of yoga initially as a add-on kind of a treatment and recently as a sole treatment. Uh, there are almost now three or four studies where yoga has been used by itself without medication as a treatment. Of course, uh, keeping in mind the ethical concerns, it would be done usually in mild or moderate cases, not very severe depression. But again, the first two studies to do that are both from outside of India. One is from the, I think both are from the US, uh, which have published one is done on uh, what we call as Iyengar Yoga. Another one has used some other form of yoga. So as Hemant was saying, one of the biggest problems in yoga research is what does yoga mean? Mm. When you say yoga is good for depression, what does it mean? Is all yoga good for depression? Definitely not. So this uh, unlike medicine where we say, okay, acetylopram in 10 mg or 20 mg is good for depression. So yoga, there is no such standardization and that's one of the things that we have pointed out in this paper also that when you say yoga, uh, even papers which are published say, okay, yoga help patients with depression. Now, what is that yoga? We don't know. In fact, the earlier studies didn't even publish the yoga itself. So they said, okay, we have done some yoga. So now we have come to a stage where we have to say, what is it that we are doing? How long are we doing it for? How often do we do it in a week? And how long does the patient have to do it to get any useful benefits? So that's what we try to cover. And uh, Hemant has been working in the area of substance abuse. Say, for example, opioid addiction uh, is something again that yoga has shown some benefit. I don't know whether we have covered that much in this paper. Maybe you could say something on that. Hemant. Yeah. Uh, so I have been working in the area of opioid use disorder and application of yoga. Uh, here at Nimhans, we have a dedicated center for addiction medicine and our department of integrative medicine works in collaboration with that. Uh, in this particular paper, we have looked at only the systematic reviews and meta-analysis as the evidence. But uh, recently, we have published a couple of case series uh, in this area, yoga and opioid use disorder. And there are two uh, uh, papers. One is a randomized control trial that shows that six months of yoga improved their quality of life. That was published from uh, Center for Addiction Medicine. But uh, I have published a recent paper where we actually described the whole process of developing a yoga module for this condition and then testing its feasibility uh, on uh, some 10 subjects. We also measured uh, endorphin levels 
in these subjects and we could uh, demonstrate that uh, a regular yoga practice uh, uh, in a period of one month was able to enhance their endorphin levels. So it means that uh, you may know that uh, opioids are exogenous uh, uh, opioids and the endorphins are endogenous opioids. So what is happening is that with yoga, there is something is happening in the human system, the brain is able to generate more endogenous opioids. So the dependence on exogenous opioids is coming down. Uh, so we, uh, that paper is under review where we have found that yoga actually in a RCT improved uh, their, uh, reduced their pain and enhanced quality of life and uh, enhanced endorphin levels also. So to answer your original question, if you ask me, where are the places in which yoga would be applicable right now with the current evidence? Depression, definitely at the top. Schizophrenia as an add-on treatment, yes, there is fairly reasonably good uh, level of evidence. Anxiety disorders, again quite good evidence. Cognitive decline in the elderly, there is quite a lot of good evidence to show that uh, six months or more of yoga can really produce cognitive improvement and even produce physical changes in the brain, uh, particularly the meditative techniques. So, depression, schizophrenia, cognitive uh, problems in the elderly, somatization problems and substance use would be the five disorders where I would fairly confidently say that yoga has a good role. The evidence you're talking about here is actually mostly randomized controlled trials, isn't it? Yes. Of course, in the last five years that is, before that they tended to be case series and because the people who really were doing the yoga research were not really aware of research methodology in that degree of detail. But now happily around the world there are a lot of people who are very good at research methodology doing work on yoga. Yeah, yeah. So something that we should come on to speak about is what you mentioned at the start, uh, Hemant, which is this idea that obviously yoga is a very broad field and that you need to do specific things for specific treatments. So just t tell me, how do you go about deciding what the right form of yoga is for a certain condition or patient group? Yeah, yeah, Oliver. So this is a very interesting question and we have been trying to search answer uh, to this question through systematic research in the last decade. Uh, now, so far, uh, our understanding shows that there is uh, a definite biological basis uh, through which various yogic practices work. For example, if you look at the work in the area of neurophysiology, uh, it is now uh, has been demonstrated very well that selective nostril breathing through each side, you know, right nostril breathing or left nostril breathing has differential effects on the neurophysiology. For example, uh, Teles et al. in a number of trials have demonstrated that if you breathe in and out only through the right nostril, there is activation of the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, whereas when you do that with the left, uh, there is a parasympathetic activation. Uh, this has also been applied systematically by Shanahov Khalsa in, uh, in his researches on OCD patients also, where he could uh, suggest some uh, connection of the long nostril breathing with the activation of specific areas in the brain. Uh, uh, and through FNRS studies also it has been observed that Selective nostril breathing has activating effect on the PFC of the contralateral hemisphere or the cerebral rhythms are correlating with the nasal rhythms. So, based on these kind of mechanisms, uh, uh, now in the ancient yogic texts also, uh, there has been a mention that right nostril breathing is called as the sun channel breathing. 
whereas the left nostril breathing is called as the moon channel breathing. Uh, so we did not know what does it mean scientifically, but now when we did research, we understood that sun channel breathing actually means sympathetic system activating breathing, whereas a moon channel breathing means parasympathetic system activating breathing. So in this way, say, so therefore in the anxiety related issues where there is sympathetic overactivation, selective left nostril breathing will have a cooling and calming effect. So therefore, in OCD module and in the anxiety module, uh, you see that these kind of left nostril breathing practices are emphasized. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah. Uh, similarly, uh, the uh, the humming breath, you know, uh, has a calming and relaxing effect on the brain. It inter internalizes the consciousness. Uh, we have also done a research where OM chanting produced limbic deactivation. Now, limbic deactivation is a procedure that is used to treat depression also. Say you, you stimulate the auricular branch of the vagus nerve by electrical stimulation through the ears. This is used for treating depression. But in our research, we found similar effect could be produced by chanting the sound OM, the Vedic sound OM. So therefore, uh, it, it can be used as a non-invasive neuromodulation technique. You know, so this is the approach. Uh, I have given you an example. Yes, this is a very interesting thing that this, uh, the chanting or the humming breathing uh, because we have been able to very nicely show uh, that the blood flow in the brain changes quite dramatically. It need not be Om, because Om many people think is a you know Hindu religious symbol or whatever. But the important point is the the sound. Mm, it could be Amen. It could be Amin. It doesn't really matter. What seems to happen is that when you do that, the blood flow to what we call as the limbic region of the brain which is the most primitive region, which controls a lot of our negative emotional responses like, you know, anger, you know, greed and that kind of thing, the blood flow comes down. Mm. That's very interesting and it has been done in perfectly normal people. I'm not talking about patients here. So in response to your question, how do we go about selecting? What we do is we say, say let's take depression as an example. We look at examples which look like depression in the yogic texts say for example the what is called vishada vishada essentially means depression in sanskrit so there are some of the ancient texts like the bhagavad gita for example or other yogic texts talk about what are the characteristics of vishada what happens the person bends down person looking down person is crying these are all given there and they say for this what is the yoga that should be done so there we pick up some of the yoga things, we make it into some kind of a practical module and then we go to experts who are actually using this every day in their practice to treat patients. And we say, look, is this module, you think, okay, uh, is this fine? So then they say, give suggestions, at least 10 or 20 experts, we take suggestions, we refine the module and then we come up with a practical 45 minute kind of a package if you want to call it that way, which we then proceed to test in a randomized clinical trial. So this is the methodology we have followed and we have now uh, developed such what we call as validated modules for around eight disorders in neuropsychiatry. Mm. And are these, are these validated modules publicly accessible? Can anyone look at these? Oh yes, most of them are pub published and uh, uh, the publications are available in the uh, our website also has all these papers actually. Uh, many of them are published in the Indian Journal of Psychiatry, which is the national 
Psychiatry Journal of India. Uh, so, say for example, we did that for depression, schizophrenia, cognitive uh, problems in the elderly, obsessive compulsive disorder, somatization disorder, uh, epilepsy, opioid use disorder. So, these are so anybody around the world who has a basic yoga training should be able to teach this yoga. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this 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 is the next question I was going to ask, which is that I'm I'm sure actually lots of psychiatrists in England when they listen to this podcast and read your paper, I'm sure they'd love their patients to do yoga. But of course, the difficulty is that um, there's not many people in England working in the mental health field that have any yoga experience. So, to what extent do you think an individual suffering from one of these conditions would be able to self-guide? Do you, do you need a yoga expert to teach these modules or are these things you could do by yourself? Very unlikely. We wouldn't recommend it because the central part of yoga actually is breathing. So when to breathe in and when to breathe out while doing the various practices is the core of yoga. And that is what unfortunately in many of the yoga studios, it's become like a cardio workout. So you are doing yoga very fast or in a manner which maybe helps the body, but it really doesn't take care of the mind. So mindfulness component and the breathing linking component sort of is not being given, but in in fact, that's the core of yoga. In fact, there's a very interesting paper that we have published, I think, in 2016 in the International Review of Psychiatry, which uh, compares yoga and physical exercise. So that's a very, very interesting paper which talks about what are the differences. A lot of the physiological changes are actually quite the opposite when you do yoga. Uh, So I would recommend that the first maybe five, six sessions, if you can find a yoga therapist, after that, you should be able to do it yourself. Okay. But but I, I suppose you do, as you say, need to have someone that has the experience to teach those first. I think so. I think so. Session. I think so. Although, although to qualify that statement, the yoga practices that we recommend for most psychiatric disorders are fairly simple. You could have an online instructor teach you the practices. That's still okay. I was going to ask about um, the potential of using it online because I don't know how it's been in India, but in England, still a lot of psychiatric care is taking place online. So have you had any success with doing yoga teaching online? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So, during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, our clinical services, we have have to experiment this. So, this is a kind of, you know, positive thing that has come out of the pandemic. Uh, So, most of our sessions uh, here, usually the routine was that a new patient is referred to our uh, yoga services. Then our trained yoga therapists uh, teach them seven sessions which are supervised. Uh, and after that, uh, we share a video of that practice with them and tell them to continue practicing at home. This was our usual routine. But then during the pandemic, uh, patients could not come to our yoga center for these supervised sessions. And therefore, uh, what we did was when they were coming to our uh, center, just the one session we taught them in a supervised way and, uh, and uh, told them about the practices. And then from the next session onwards, we shifted them on Zoom platform. Uh, so we started almost all other sessions, schizophrenia, depression, substance use, everything was going on on an online mode throughout the pandemic. And uh, to our surprise, you know, we, ex- we expected that it, people would find it very difficult and there would be a lot of dropout. But fairly large number of people were able to adhere to those yoga practices. 
and in fact one of the barriers you know uh, in one of our study we found that to maintain yoga for a long time one of the barrier was the travel distance between the center and the residence of the patient so that barrier we were able to overcome in fact in many of our researches after that we wrote an amendment to ethics committee and added tele yoga component because we we found that it has enhanced the adherence to yoga services in fact we are running a online yoga course for the public for the last almost more than 2 years now yeah. every day every day and there are 50 60 people every day come and this these are sessions for stress management and well being and anybody can log in so www. nimhansyoga.in is our website where all our publications and zoom id for these sessions are available that's fantastic so just before we finish talk to me briefly about uh, your service because you're running a, a very large tertiary yoga service as you say so just talk us through a little bit how that service has come about so nimhans as you as some people would know is a tertiary psychiatry and neurology institute uh, and yoga research has been going on here since the 1970s but it was purely research so in 2007 we started the first clinical yoga service and the nimhans integrated center for yoga was set up with a grant from the ayush ministry which is a ministry in the government of india which looks after the what are called the complementary systems of medicine ayurveda yoga yunani siddha homeopathy and all these things so we ran it for 5 years in a sort of a project mode and then we were able to show enough evidence to convince the government to set up a proper yoga center as a part of nimhans so from 2014 we have been running it as a part of the institute and in 2019 the department of integrative medicine was set up which integrates yoga ayurveda and modern biomedicine together so we now have a 30 bedded hospital where we admit patients for ayurveda and yoga interventions we also have outpatient 3 uh, days a week so it's now a properly integrated center uh, say for example a patient comes with depression they would come to nimhans and they, they would see okay i can go to the psychiatry department i can go for counseling to the psychology department i can also go to the integrative medicine department for ayurveda and yoga and then they would come and see hemant or one of the other people and you know they can evolve take all the treatments or one of the treatments as they choose now oliver here one important point is that in this department of integrative medicine all the three consultants you know a consultant from the field of yoga from the field of ayurveda and from the field of psychiatry sit together in uh, in one chamber and they see a patient together so when the patient enters all the three doctors see the patient together so this is uh, one of a model that we have developed uh, in this institute because usually in india what happens is you have to meet a psychiatrist you take a separate appointment even in the same hospital you have to meet a ayurveda physician and then you have to go to a yoga physician and then what happens is that there is no communication between those physicians between each other and sometimes the the advices that give also contradict and the patient gets confused yeah. it is also time consuming for the patient they also pay three times <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in this way uh, there is a cross talk between the modern and the traditional systems of medicine uh, that we are uh, encouraging and uh, we see that patient satisfaction also has improved with that so we hope that in the future just like you have a nurse you have a physiotherapist you have a work 
uh, occupational therapist in most psychiatric hospitals anywhere in the world would ultimately have one yoga trained person in all psychiatric hospitals yeah. it's already become a reality in many hospitals in india even yeah. private i'm not even talking about government i also know that there are similar systems in japan for example uh, the big psychiatric hospitals all all have a yoga therapist appointed as part of the hospital staff so i hope this will become a reality because uh, the research has gone in the reverse direction it's usually what it does it we start with the most severe cases but yoga actually would be most useful to the milder cases yes. to prevent them becoming psychiatric patients yeah so if that has to happen then it has to get into the community setup in india i think it's on the way uh, their government is setting up what are called as wellness centers throughout the country i hope this would be a model that can be followed throughout the world yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i think it's uh, you know it, the, the evidence it, it presented in your paper is is very good it's very robust and i think there's always a desire psychiatrists worldwide to have non-drug options available um especially things that can be delivered with minimal intervention you know with a small number of interventions from an expert followed by a lot of self uh, led care so i think this is something that's going to interest a lot of people so i was joined today by dr hemant bargav and dr shirvama varambali we've been discussing their new paper yoga and mental health what every psychiatrist needs to know co-authored with their colleague dr sanju george published in bj psych advances hemant and shirvama thank you very much for joining me thank you for listening to this bj psych advances podcast for the latest updates follow us on twitter at the bj psych To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.